everyone, and welcome back to the Rumcast. My name is John Gulla, and with me is Will Hookinga, and together we are hosting this podcast that talks all things rum-related with the people who love and shape it. And speaking of people who clearly have a love for rum, Will, uh, our first interview for 2023 is with a man who spent an entire year away from his home and nearly circumnavigating the globe to follow his rum passion. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. 28 rum distillery visits, a slew of countries across the Caribbean, Barbados, Martinique, Guadeloupe, uh, Marie Gallant as well, which is part of Guadeloupe, mm-hmm. Madeira, going all the way back toward Europe, then Scotland, then Amsterdam to visit ENA Shear, London, uh, or Liverpool, excuse me, to visit Maine Rum Company. This was, John, a, a, a rum journey of epic proportions Yeah, that our friend, uh, listener, and founder of the New Zealand Rum Society, Richard Nicholson, embarked on a 13-month epic rum quest. An odyssey. And we should there call was, it a rum odyssey, yes. Yeah, and he, he visited so many distilleries. He had so much to share. Just in, I feel like it's, it's if, you, if you are ever interested in doing rum-related travel, visiting places, we wanted to talk to Richard because we wanted to get the kind of traveler's perspective on distilleries to see um, things to do, that sort of thing. But it also just became this really interesting snapshot of kind of the world of rum in 2021 slash 2022. And just so many interesting insights. I learned a ton about rum agricole because as you'll, as listeners will hear, that was a big mm-hmm. emphasis of his trip. And yeah, just so much in this interview. And uh, Richard is very entertaining, very knowledgeable guy as well. So uh, it's a different interview from what we've done in the past, and I'm really excited for people to uh, to listen to it. It's always nice when we can talk with somebody at length that is uh, not necessarily in the industry themselves, yeah. um, but is just a fellow rum lover who has uh, taken that to an extremes of sort in, in what he did. And hearing the details of how he was able to plan it, um, right. all of that thought process that went into it, some of the things that were just fortune smiling on him, you know, uh-huh, all of that uh-huh, is really fun uh-huh. to hear. So I- I'm glad we were able to do it. And, and like you said, uh, it's going to be fun for people to hear and listen to. But before we get to that, Will, let's talk about some other things going on here. Okay. Uh, I know you you recently saw some articles that piqued your interest. Yeah. Well, so we our first episode of the new year, we were making our predictions, our rum predictions for 2023. And I don't know about you, John, but as I was kind of going through my predictions and everything. You know, I was looking back at the end of 2022. There was the big Brown Foreman acquiring Diplomatico Mm -hmm, story mm -hmm. that broke. And I was like, you know, should I make a prediction related to kind of acquisitions, things like that? And I was like, ah, it's so businessy, you know, it's not really like the joyful side of rum. And then also, mergers, acquisitions, things like that happen so often in the spirits industry that it's kind of like, oh yeah, I predict another rum company will be acquired. It's sort of like, yeah, like the the sun Mm -hmm. will rise tomorrow as well. So Mm -hmm. I ended up not going with it. And then just very funny timing, uh, maybe the same week we released that episode, maybe the week after, there was another major acquisition, which was a uh, rum brand that started in the Philippines, Don Papa, being purchased by Diageo for $281 million. Uh, Chump change, there's, yeah. There's, yeah, there's, there's also, there's some kind of like 
uh, thing based on sales performance that may allow the price to go up to $474 million Ooh, over the next year. This is years, like sports so. contracts now. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's a, like performance incentives. Uh, like, yeah, you make a Super Bowl, you get a bonus. Wow. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But um, so I was looking at that and then I was thinking back. Um, Matt Petrick has, has written a bunch about these acquisitions as they've happened. And he also noted one at the end of 2022 with uh, Pernod Ricard. Uh, announcing that they were substantially increasing their stake in a company called Sovereign Brands. And Bumboo is like Ugh. basically the biggest company within Sovereign Brands. And so, you know, I, I think I can kind of see in your face, you're, you're seeing mm. like the the through line of the this trio of acquisitions, which is that these are all rum brands that, uh, you know, in the rum enthusiast circles or maybe look down a little bit on um, some of them are known for, you know, sweetening their rum or, I mean, Bamboo is like a straight up flavored rum, which I think right. it says on the label. But, you know, Don Papa, Diplomatico, those are ones that like the, you know, the hydrometer test sites and, and people have done things on. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's something going on in a lot of those releases. And we talk so much about transparency and, you know, we're, we're so focused on kind of like the enthusiast circles that, you know, if you spend all your time on the rum forums and everything, transparency, you know, no additives and stuff, like it seems like the future. Yeah, you know, you get all excited about it. Um, but then, you know, you see things like this, these hundreds of millions of dollars pouring into brands that are basically like doing the opposite in some cases right. of, of what a lot of people in rum enthusiast circles want to see, which right. is just mm -hmm. more transparency around if you're, you know, adding stuff to your rum in some way. And so I just wanted to ask you, like, how does this, does this make you feel like we're never going to get there in terms of transparency when you see this, this kind of news? What What is it? What is kind of your takeaway from that? Yeah. So my immediate thoughts, as you kind of foretold by my, my initial reaction in my face was <laughs> why these brands? I, I know the answer to that, which is that they sell well. Money, money, and, money. And it's all about money, right? Yeah. But I'm also going to choose to believe that there is a, a, a sliver of hope that mm. might be here with this. Enlighten and me on that follow sliver. Me, yeah, follow me through with this. So if you think about the way that these corporate strategies are and what they're doing, I, I do believe that sometimes there is a way for these companies to kind of swoop in and make changes that could be for the better. And what I mean by that is they could have a better ear to the ground for the rum societies and they could be finding ways to maybe keep going with some of the products that sell well, but also branch out. There's more investment, there's more money, and maybe there's going to be uh, higher ABV releases and maybe with less additives or no additives in them. I, I know it's it's a far cry and I'm really <laughs> choosing to be optimistic here with this. we got to put I, our I, faith in the corporations is what yeah. you're saying. <laughs> well, so like, you know, in, in today's kind of social media world where there's a lot louder voices for things from smaller interest groups like mm -hmm. a rum enthusiast, yeah. I'm sure they have to see those. And yeah, bigger companies. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I'm not saying they care. I'm right. saying maybe there's somebody that does and that says, hey, we have an opportunity here to expand on this and maybe capture others. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's it's a tough, like like I said, I'm really trying to push for trying to see the silver trying lining here. Trying to find the here. silver lining, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It was kind of interesting. I was reading one of the articles about the Don Papa deal. It was in Just Drinks, and they included some quotes and uh, analysis from an, someone who is, uh, I believe, an analyst at this investment bank called Jefferies. 
Um, Jeff and Freeze. he said, uh, his name is Ed Mundy. He said, we believe there are reasons for optimism for the rum category, in particular in the high-end dark variants. Uh, oh and then it says Already. that he, yeah. he pointed to three things, a renewed interest in sipping rums, the drink's relatively affordable price point, and its sweeter taste profile as three reasons the mm. category is set to prosper. Mm. So <laughs> that's, you know, when I, when I read that as well, mm-hmm. the whole, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's sweeter. That's one of the, the key things. So it was just kind of like, oh, God, here we go again, you know? But, but hey, right, we've talked about this in the past. Sometimes a lot of people will find their way through that into the rums in more rum enthusiast circles that we like it's to true. gravitate towards. It's so true. more people sipping rum overall. Yeah. And more people finding their way through. Some of them will get left at that level, and that's okay. That's uh, as we've talked about before, Will. I, I don't look down on people for enjoying sweetened rums. We yeah. wish it was more transparent, but right. it's totally fine if that's what your palate wants. Right. But I also have seen a trend that as people get exposed to different rums that don't have those additives, they tend to start gravitating towards the ones that don't. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it, there's there's a possible nice silver lining here. So that's that, that's yeah. a good point. I think like the way I look at it is kind of we talk all the time about how we want there to be like more appreciation for rum. You know, like mm-hmm. a kind of a growth in people's recognition of of it. Uh, you know, more people drinking it, that kind of thing. And like this is kind of what happens when when you want awareness of a spirits category to grow like stuff that is currently selling well that's going to be what a lot of larger companies gravitate to and in some ways you know that almost incentivizes more companies to make rum like that like i go back to when we were talking Mm -hmm. to joshua Mm -hmm. singh from 1423 and you know the sbs stuff it's additive free but he has brands that he does sweeten and he's open about it and he's like yeah i i do that, you know, so I can make enough money to do everything else that I want to do because that stuff sells. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, uh, right, you know, right. along those lines. But um, and so when I hear that kind of thing, part of me does feel for the brands that aren't doing that, you know, that aren't sweetening. And yeah. they're having to deal with that expectation of like, well, now more, more and more people are going to think rum is supposed to be a lot sweeter than it is when you don't add stuff to it. So mm-hmm. I, for me, it just it, it. I think if if we really want more transparency, it's going to be on the enthusiasts, right? It's going to be more people, like more people, trying to put education out there, um, creating resources for people, you know, to put this out there and have productive conversations that don't alienate mm-hmm. people, but bring them to this understanding that like rum doesn't have to be sweet, and in fact, when it's not sweet. It can be really, really damn good, right? And and you know, encouraging the brands that are doing things the right way to keep doing them. But yeah, so yeah, it was just kind of an interesting trio of things happening and being like, yeah. wow, um, okay, I guess this is a reminder of these uh, these kinds of rums are making a lot of money. So yeah, anyway, you know, it's funny. I I walked into a local liquor store here in Miami recently mm-hmm. to look for something, and they have their regular bar or uh, shelves, their regular shelves. And then there's like this like lockup shelf, but mm-hmm. usually that's like behind the counter in most stores. No, this yeah. one was like a lockup with a glass front on the same shelf. Okay. And in there are like these really high, you know, dollar valued rums. Like I think they had Mount Gay Port Cask in there and they mm-hmm. had like a Worthy Park 12 year. And then in the middle of these is Boom Boo. <laughs> 
in the glass case. One and I was of these just like, things is not like what? the others, right? <laughs> so just to your point about, I guess, where a lot of people are gravitating towards right now, gotta say, you know, Boom Boo seems to be selling or popular, so... Uh, Indeed. Well, speaking of embarrassing things... Um, <laughs> So, uh, Will, we, we didn't do this this year in our, our 2022 year in review episode that we just did, but we did in the, the year before. We talked about moments from the previous year where that stuck out to us from where different we episodes that we did. Yeah. Well, in one of those we did, I think, was most embarrassing moment. Uh-huh. Um, but we didn't do that this year. We, were, we, we had a lot of information already in that episode. Right. I don't think we wanted yeah. to pull it out too long. Yeah. But I wanted to get back to this. And okay. there's a specific reason I wanted to get back to it. All right. um, so I, I wanted to start out with my 2022 most embarrassing moment for us on the podcast. And I say for us for a reason here. And that was... Uh, you know, J- John, I have yeah. to interrupt you and say, like, yeah. we, we came so close to getting through this year without having to revisit <laughs> our most embarrassing <laughs> moments on the podcast. And you're like, no, 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 no. No, no, we, no. We, have, we have to put this into the, the intro for, for the next episode. You know, I, I guess this is just, you know, you keeping us accountable. So well, no, it's I, stick I'm with little, me here. I'm a little worried, but I'm yeah. interested to see where this is going. Okay, well, like I said, stick with me here because there is a tie into this episode okay. as well. So that's okay. why I'm choosing to do it. So I, I, my most embarrassing moment from 2022 was way back in February with Mitch from Black Tot. We had yeah. an episode where we talked with Mitch from Black Tot and... Um, Really, really great interview. And at the very, very end of this interview, uh-huh. <laughs> I think you're starting to remember, I can tell. He did a toast for us where he had us say line by line. Oh, right, uh, yeah. He, he, I think this is a thing for him where he's, it, it's like a classic thing. There are two ships, there, but the best ships are friendships and all that, right? Yes, uh, yes. Well, so he was doing this line, and the, the, the first line is, there are two ships. Yes. But, you know, M- Mitch is, I guess, when he was saying it, he has a, 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 an accent. He's from, you know, the UK. And he said, there are two ships, right? And we both, both thought of he us... Said, we both thought he said tall ships. Yes. Yeah. And we were struggling so hard. And the, the, <laughs> the most embarrassing <laughs> thing about that is I know this poem. Like, I, you know, I'm familiar with it. And yet I still didn't pick it up after like multiple times where I'm like, tall ships. What are, yeah. what are we talking about here? And what is this? And so I was super embarrassed by this. And uh, yeah, I'm sure somebody out there had to have noticed that way back and listened to that and wouldn't go like, what are they doing? There are um, tall ships. Yeah. Yes. You know, some yeah. of them, they have those masks that just, you know, stretch all the way. <laughs> to the sky almost yeah so i so, do remember that yeah. and i felt extremely stupid in the moment and you know what i had forgotten about it completely until you you know forced it into this episode as well so hopefully now everyone goes back and, and listens to it again and we sound dumb all over again if we can't make fun of ourselves will then what are we doing here uh anyway that was February of that year. We, we had, I don't think we eclipsed that moment of embarrassment the rest of the year. And it seems Hopefully like we're not. starting off this year with a bang, too, for embarrassment. This one's a little you, you more know, personal to we, me. The yeah. word we is doing a lot of work in that sentence. <laughs> I was way. trying to get you out of it. I was, I was moving towards that direction. Okay. Um, so... In I, I think we should we owe it to people who we've heard, by the way, that the rapid fire section is by far a great it's something that people enjoy that listen yeah, to the podcast. People so like it. We love hearing that and we're happy to keep doing it. Well, this rapid fire section that we did with Richard, it I'm not gonna spoil hits. it. <laughs> it. It was maybe not as well researched on my part as it should have been. Um, and John, so it was John kind of a looked, crash and burn. Yeah. John looked at this rapid fire opportunity. He saw two things. One, 
Richard is from New Zealand, and two, I, John Gulla, am a huge Lord of the Rings fan, that is which exactly was filmed correct. in New Zealand. So I'm I, going to... Yes. So, so Richard must also be exactly. a big Lord of the Rings fan, as Thank all you New for Zealanders me through must the logic. be, right? Yeah. Yes, that is exactly <laughs> what I thought. And I was incorrect, uh, as you will hear. Um, you, and I wanted yeah. to tell everybody, this is not Richard's fault. Richard is a great guy, Richard's and you'll hear fault. from the rest of the interview. He's great. Um, but for this particular point, yes, uh, I, I, I strung him out there, and uh, poor guy, you know, did R- his best. Yeah. Richard, Richard is a, he's a good sport. He's a quick <laughs> thinker. He is witty. But he is not that into Lord of the Rings. And He's John just had not. a whole. John, it wasn't just like one question that you had prepared. You had like four questions that all. It, it tied was the in. whole thing. Will they like? It was it, the whole like built thing. Yes. One upon the other, and they all depended on someone being a Lord of the Rings fan. I had a plan, and that plan was wrecked very early on. <laughs> Yeah, so, so fair warning to everyone. Yes. Uh, you know, this rapid fire gets a little a little bumpy, but hopefully <laughs> you'll be able to, uh, to to laugh along with us at yeah. at, at John's folly in uh, in planning this one. But yes, um, anyway, you know that's that's quality control on my part too. You know, I've, I'm supposed to take a look at those. Uh, I don't always look at them in advance, and I don't think I did this time. But anyway. We're moving on. It's a new year, John. It's a fresh it start. A new ways for us to find to embarrass ourselves. And people will hear one of them on this episode coming up. Mm-hmm. So let's get on to it. All right. We are here with Richard Nicholson, the founder of the New Zealand Rum Society and world traveler, just freshly back from his worldwide trip to see over 25 rum distilleries, different places like EA Shear and Maine Rum, 1423, and a ton of rum shows and events he's going to tell us about, and even some judging along the way. So, uh, Richard, we're, we're super thankful and happy to have you on to discuss this. And I guess we can start with, how does it feel after uh, more than a year or about a year to be back home and have had some time to reflect on everything. Thanks, John. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I think the first thing is I uh, caught up on sleep. So that was probably the first two weeks. <laughs> do you even, do you just completely lose track of time zones at some point? You do. You absolutely do. And you just, it, it get, got to that point where I'm going, where am I next? You know, and I'm just looking at my itinerary all the time. And, but I just crammed as much in there, you know, and I'm sure over the hour you'll get a feeling of how I operate, should we say. Yeah. Uh, but it is good to be back um, and have time to reflect, as you say. And um, I know it was a huge privilege uh, opportunity of what I've just done, 13 months on the rum road. And, you know, the stats, you know, we can talk about. But basically the the ability to be able to do that um, is not lost on me in terms of, not having a wife, not worrying about the children. It wasn't like I walked out the door and said, right, just going down the road to get some milk and didn't come back for 13 months. <laughs> so so I was able to do it um, and maybe we'll get into it, how that actually happened, how fast it happened as well. So we'll talk a bit about that. But yes, it's good to be back. Good to connect in with the New Zealand rum uh, scene again. And uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think the question on everyone everyone's minds probably is how does a trip like this come about as as you just said 13 months on the road all over the world uh, i think 28 distilleries in total barbados martinique guadalupe uh, madeira 
Amsterdam, Scotland, all these different places. Playing the how, hits, yeah. Yeah. How how like how did you even begin to conceptualize this trip? What were the absolute like, okay, I know I'm going to these places. Do you start with a timeline? Did you just think it was gonna be three months and then it just ballooned from there? Like, take us through how this all came into into being. Yeah, well, one, one would, you know, when you look at a trip this size, one would do a lot of planning, maybe six months out, maybe every year out, and you start yeah. looking at where you want to go, you know, start putting money together, all of those things that you would do on any international trip, I guess, um, and if it's an important one, like this is the most important trip I've ever done, you do a lot of planning. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's not what I did. <laughs> I gave myself four days. Oh, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Okay, I know. explain so how that well, happens. How that? Because yeah. because my my wife and I we just uh, in September we took a trip to Spain and Italy. Uh, that was it. It was like an eleven or twelve day trip, and we probably spent like you know eight months. I would say planning it. So. <laughs> Same here. I think my wife and I were more than that when we did ours. Yeah. So four days. Yeah. Yes. Um, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, you may recall that uh, New Zealand. Um, escaped that first part of COVID pretty well. We, we went mm-hmm. into fast, hard lockdown. Right. So it meant that we came out really quickly. So we were only really in lockdown for a few months. That was it. We came out of that. Um, so this is now mid sort of 2020. And it was all looking pretty rosy. By the time some of the other strains got here, it was starting to look a little bit worse in New Zealand. It was inevitable that it would happen. This is all leading up to, I woke up, uh, this is now October 21, um, October the 10th, I think it was, uh, to the news that we were going into another lockdown. Uh-huh. It's going to be our third. Um, and I went, you know what? I don't want to be here. So that was on the Monday. <laughs> now, I'd already... <laughs> I'd been in touch with uh, Gail around the um, Barbados rum experience, the VRE. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew that was coming up in four weeks' time. Um, I also knew Ian Burrell's UK show was going to be on the Friday. So from that Monday, wake up, literally woke up, heard the news or read the news that we're going in another lockdown. I immediately got reached out to Peter Holland. Okay. And I said, Peter, I'm coming. He said, "Oh, good. It'd be great to see you. We can talk a bit more about all those connections." But um, I yeah, said, what month are you said, thinking about coming? And you're like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, when are you coming?" And I said, "I'll be there on Friday." Oh, <laughs> and that, literally, that's how it happened. So I fast forward everything, as you can imagine, just went into full on, you know, just like get everything organised, mm. flights booked, uh, you know, personal life sorted, everything in four days, and I was on a plane and via Singapore up to London. Arrive London uh, in the morning, first morning of the UK rum show. So you left then, I'm assuming not knowing when you would be able to come back. Is that correct? Mm. That's absolutely great question. So in New Zealand at that time, we also weren't allowing anybody in. We were isolating ourselves as an island. And the earliest the government were indicating was February. So when I left uh, October 16. This the, is at least going to be like four months. Wow. Exactly. And and so, <laughs> therefore, I knew, well, I wouldn't mind then off the back of, uh, you know, but that's point, uh, you know, within a matter of minutes, I knew that I was going to do the UK rum show two weeks later, fly to Barbados. That part I knew. Okay. And then I thought, well, if I've got to be away three, four months. I might as well do another couple of islands at least. While you're in Barbados. Yeah, you may as well. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Um 
And I thought, worst scenario, if the country's still not open up, I'll go back and spend time with my friends in um, you know, UK, France, that sort of thing. Mm. So that's all it was. There was nothing more than that. And um, some money in the bank account. That's it. Wow. Uh, did, <laughs> did did anybody like, did you, in these four days time, did you like reach out to anybody other than Peter or was it just you and Peter yeah. talking and Gail? How do you even start to like say, yeah, I know you've got those two major landmarks, right? Of what you said, but then like, wh- where are you starting to think? How does your brain even start to put these together to, to think about how to connect them? I think that, you know, again, if part of my personality um you know, once 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 I've decided to do something, I will go into you know uh, full on amplified mode to make that then work. So basically, the great thing out of COVID, and we there are a number of good things, but and we've, you've talked about it a few times on the show, is the way we got it more connected into the rum world because mm-hmm. we were forced online. Yeah. Um, and if you can imagine, we're very isolated in New Zealand. We're down the bottom end of the world there, or top, depending on which way you want to view the world. Um, <laughs> and the 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 ability to, for the first time ever, really connect in with brands and with personalities and individuals and so on in the rum world was due to COVID. So that's where, if you like, my connections really um, took off. Mm-hmm. So things like um, the Black Top 24 Hour um, meant mm-hmm. by the time I'd done that, by the time I'd also done some online tastings and masterclasses done by Peter Holland, you know, with the Batiki Rum and so on. By that point, so before October, before I made that decision, I already had quite a strong network of vertical friends commas. all over the world now. Friends all around the world, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So, and even Lance, I'd spent time talking to Lance Cerebelli, you know, uh-huh. and, and and others, and they then became quite instrumental in helping me over the next three days, saying, "Do this, don't do this, do that, do that." Um, <laughs> so that they were my guides. Lance, in particular, um, he's hmm. become a very dear friend. Um, he. It's just a wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah. We know, <laughs> you know you only need to look at his uh, look at the loan candidate to see that. But more than that, he, he's he's very good at um, cutting through, if you like, um, yeah. and just saying, "Yeah, that's going to work. That's not going to work." So that helped hugely in terms of. By the time I landed in London, I had some further ways I could explore what I wanted to do for the next four months. I remember uh, when we were, this was, uh, I think it was October, we had our happy hour for the Rumcast Patreon, and you jumped on in the middle of that from your camper. It was like 2 uh, a.m. Yeah. <laughs> and and we, we were, you know, great to see you because we knew you were on like midway through this trip, but then we're, we were like, oh my gosh, the commitment level that you must have, Richard, you know, it was like, like Will said, 2 a.m. and you're in a camper, and I, I can't remember exactly what you were telling us, but you already had something planned for tomorrow as well, and it we were just like, holy cow. And and I know you were telling a few stories there, but when was that in this journey? Just I, I hate to jump around, but it was just such a vivid memory that I, I wanted to find out when that was. And that was that at some point where you're just like kind of making it up at this point or you had a plan no, by then? No. So but this is now I want to say that would have been about August. OK, right. Right. that seems right. I think, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Um that itself, I think, is quite a hilarious story. So what you guys didn't know and what I couldn't say is the, in that camp, the reason I had the camper van, I'll explain in a minute, but in that camper van was 90 bottles of rum. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank God I'm you're still like this. I'm hearing like uh, 90 <laughs> bottles of rum in the van, 90 <laughs> bottles of rum. <laughs> we were probably about 80, 85 by the time I finished the trip. But anyway, um, so that's a, that was what had happened is by that point, there's a whole lot of things we probably need to backfill, but we'll worry about that later. That <laughs> I was in Germany. No, Copenhagen. I just finished Germany. So I'd done the German rum festival and the German rum. So I was, I was asked to be a judge for that. Um, and the following week was Copenhagen. So the the Denmark um, rum I, I remember you talking about 1423 at that point. So so that exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I generally for all the other shows um, and, you know, visits, distillery visits, was flying in, doing my thing and flying out again. This time I thought, well, actually, why don't I drive? And that then also means I can take the rum out of my friend's place, which was sitting, <laughs> filled up a hole of one of his bedrooms in south of France. I drove from France all the way through France. Wow. I also had another special mission. I can talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> with loaded up with all of these boxes and boxes of rum. Wait, I, I, sorry, I don't. I don't mean to interrupt, but I. I just realized, like, were you just accumulating bottles of rum throughout this whole journey? I imagine, like, were those ninety bottles all just stuff that you had collected over the course and that yep. you were planning to bring back to New Zealand? Yes. So um, I would say there were a good 20 or 30 were given to me by. So when I left the Caribbean, I had two extra suitcases. Uh Now, here's something for maybe maybe this will be helpful for viewers uh, or listeners. Um, The if you are in the French territories, Mm -hmm. effectively, if you fly that into France, you're doing a domestic flight. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit, I'm not saying that you can bring whatever amount you like of alcohol, (laughs) but it is easier. So basically two suitcases full of rum wasn't even stopped. And people say, don't worry about it. Nobody cares. It's a domestic flight. A little bit less. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was partly because obviously I just went absolutely crazy. I went straight (laughs) to a car for us, you know, and and if people can remember that C-A-R-R-E-F-O-U-R, the the supermarkets there, you just go shelf after shelf of the most amazing rums, you know, Mm -hmm. agricole rums, obviously we're in in the French territories. Uh Um, So I went a little bit crazy there. Then as I continued touring through the Caribbean and went to distilleries, often um, very humbling again and incredibly generous hosts, they would go, this is for you. Oh, um, wow. So, you know, and of some special bottle. So, of course, they were going to make their way back. Uh, I'd also done several trips to Paris by the time I did the camper van trip. So, you know, the rum shops there and other rum shops I could talk about later. But mm-hmm. the point is, I amassed by that time quite a lot. <laughs> you, needed, you needed a camper to trans- transport all the this only rum right. Imagine you've well, got like what? two pairs of clothes, a toothbrush, <laughs> and rum. <laughs> I was kind of getting that way. I was definitely trying to ditch stuff. There's no doubt about it. It's like a boat sinking. You say, right, what do you throw first? Well, not the rum. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay, so I interrupted you. you. You mentioned you were driving from the south of France to so Copenhagen. Just, yeah. Yeah, so I decided this time I wanted to get the rum out of my friend's place because it was kind of, you know, I didn't want to leave it there too much longer. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking the trip's coming near an end. I've got to figure out a way of getting back to New Zealand. If I'd had it all picked up from his place by a DHL and Uh then delivered door to door, it was going to cost me over $2,000. So I went, 
So I was like, no, why don't I get it to a warehouse? A friend of mine's got a warehouse uh-huh. and then get it into a container to be shipped out to New Zealand. So that was the, you know, the end goal. It was just a matter of working backwards because Germany and Denmark were weekends apart. Uh, and I also needed to hunt down these special bottles through France. I thought best way to do that is in a camper van. Yeah, I mean, why um, I, not? That sounds like a, yeah. an amazing little drive to take. Um, I'm jealous. It, it was. It was. Was it was just there was a again. We're going to jump around quite a bit today. I had a few months earlier been up in Amsterdam with, um, and I was at Mitch Mitch's place, mm-hmm. um, and you know Mitch Black Blacktop. Mitch. Yeah. Uh huh. He had hosted all of these amazing rum people. So you had Ben from Tomasi there. You had uh, Chris from Forty Twenty Three. You had uh, Niels from uh, Yeah Sheer. Sheer. Right. All of these people were there. And we decided that that night we all had to bring a bottle. We weren't allowed to say what it was. So we'd be blind tastings, and we oh, all oh man, what it was. You can only imagine. And some you of the can stuff imagine what people like that. <laughs> and I just so happened to have this Rum JM special bottling done for a French retail group. Okay. Um, and it was very special. So it was a um, single barrel um, selected by them and poured it out, and everyone went, "Holy hell, this is amazing!" Mm-hmm. To the point that two of them said, "This is the best rum they've ever had." Oh my god! And I'm wow. just going, and I'm going, okay. Um, <laughs> that means one, something in that room, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and Chris, um, Chris, uh, if I'm sitting, he got the closest. He does the rum and rum, rum after dark or rum in the dark. I, I mm-hmm. always get it mm-hmm. mixed up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Chris came closest. He didn't quite get it. Uh, and Ben did as well. Ben's got an incredible palate and knowledge as well, mm. Ben Booth of Tomasi. Anyway, the two that came close. And so when I revealed it, they were just going, oh, my God, where can I get this? Where can I get this? I said, I don't think you can. <laughs> that then became a mission for me to find at least two bottles to give to those guys next time I'd see them. Were you uh, able so to that, get them? Yes, I was. I <laughs> nice. basically. I was able to hunt them down in the smallest of villages in France. So that was a fantastic trip in itself. <laughs> yeah. Driving through France with 90 bottles yeah. in the car, driving through trying to find this uh, rum in little towns uh, through France. Oh my so God. I, managed- I feel like I would have been sweating bullets like with that much rum, <laughs> like just driving around the countryside and like, please don't pull me over for some random reason. I have no idea what France is like, but I feel like in the US I would be sweating bullets with I that feel much like rum. It, I would feel like I was driving like an armored Brinks car. Yes, you know, exactly. Just expecting like uh, rum thieves to like box me in and like a heist situation to happen right i i did i want to transition a little bit to talking about some of the the distilleries and, and different places you saw just big picture zooming out we mentioned some of the countries that you went to and and we'll dive into some of the specific places throughout the conversation and probably when we do the intro for the episode as well but of everywhere that you visited and i know this will be a hard question um so you maybe don't have to narrow it down to just one but what is the place out of all the distilleries that you would say is like a run, don't walk destination for rum enthusiasts? If if, if you're a rum fan who's at home and you're like, I want to go see more places. And, and I know I know you went to Barbados, which I think is one of the big rum destinations. But you also went to a, a lot of other places that I think are visited less often than places like, uh, you know, Jamaica or somewhere like that. So what's a place that maybe people aren't thinking about that you were just like, oh, my God, you have to go here if you love rum. Before you answer, Richard, I just have to tell people that are listening 
listening to this and can't see your face, the anguish as Will was asking this question, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can see it on your face. So go ahead. I, I, I also wanted to stall a little bit to give you time to think. Uh, it's a tough one. Well, imagine what I'm going to be like during the rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, and this is really gun to the head sort of stuff. Yeah. I would say Guadalupe and in particular, go to the little island off there, Marie Gallant. Mm, yeah. I'll explain why. I'll explain why. So so there's a few things in that. Firstly, the, the holy grail sort of countries, Jamaica, Barbados, Cuba, that all makes sense. Don't get me wrong. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, um, that's important for, as an experience and people should do what they like anyway. But for me, it was, you know what? I kind of really know, inverted commas, that. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I can kind of pick up that later. What I need to do is I need to explore agriculture. Mm. So that's where it started for me, is saying you're talking about terroir. Mm-hmm. So straight away that means sense of place. So mm-hmm. to be able to go to the place to me became important. How they how they uh, juice, you know, so the different crushing techniques through to their fermentation, distillation, and maturation. The way I would explain the difference between Martinique and Guadeloupe, in fact, uh, um, I had a few of the Martinique uh, guys have me on about this. I said I love Martinique rums, but but if you look at Guadeloupe, to me, they're just a little bit more rustic. They're uh, just a little bit more, and this is a, a, a real broad sweep because obviously mm-hmm. within any, even even one distillery, and you know you get quite a variance in terms of yeah. your expressions. But the point I'm trying to make is. You just get this sense, this feel that they're just doing it just that little bit more, you know, robust, rustic way mm-hmm. in Guadeloupe compared to Martinique. Martinique, I'd say, is the the more refined end if I was to go that far. And when I say I don't mean refined in terms of you don't see some killer rums in Martinique, you do. Yeah. Be they, you know, your big brute de colons or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when you're in Guadeloupe, there's also a higher there's less people going there, so there's a higher appreciation where people visit. So that's the other reason. Okay. Uh, I, I feel that Guadeloupe is very much something that people should consider. Then when you get on that ferry and you go out to Marie Gallant, and there's three amazing distilleries there, mm-hmm. um, and you're seeing a horse and cart, a, oh, or a, wow. not a horse, mm-hmm. a uh, an ox, sorry, mm-hmm. and cart come up with a load of cane. <laughs> you're just going, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Or even yeah. just afterwards, you're down on one of the little beaches and, you know, out comes a bottle and you're just making tea punches all the night and it's costing <laughs> you, you know, maybe 10 euro for the bottle. Wow. Yeah. It's that sort of, it, it's just, I haven't done enough traveling, obviously, in the, in the rum world. Um, but I feel that for my experiences, it felt like this is still very authentic. It's not overly done. Now, again, don't, misunderstand me martinique is is just as special um but i feel guadalupe gun to head was where mm. I'd, I'd go yeah. back again in fact i did I, I flew back to guadalupe a second time right uh, how, how many of these places did you go to twice what i think 16 uh, of the distilleries you went to twice <laughs> madeira <laughs> and guadalupe are the two rum countries i visited twice because okay. madeira and that's the thing um i don't know when you want to talk about madeira because that's just uh, again uh, and I, I'm not over-dramatizing this. Madeira is a very, very special place. The mm. rum is incredible. The people are amazing. Really? They've, and 
you get a completely different view sense of what rum's about for them. Mm-hmm. And they're a lot older in terms of uh, sugarcane, so likely a sugarcane distillate as well, way, way before um, the Caribbean. Right, I mean, you're talking Mm. 250 years before. Yeah. Mm. So they've got that. You walk the Levada systems, which is how they, uh, um, a bit like the Roman aqueducts, is how they got the water over from the northern side where it rains over Mm. to the dry side, the southern Mm. side. And, how, and so you're going through all these steep sort of mountainous roads and there's the Levada systems and the terrace systems where it's either wine or, you know, grapes or mm-hmm. um, cane growing. It's a step back in time as well. Yeah, I, I feel like Madeira is sort of the the forgotten agricole producing island, right? Because like you look at the agricole regulations and it's like French overseas departments and Madeira. It's just kind of like stuck on there, you know? Um, and we talked a little bit about it with Peter Holland because he has some extensive experience and, uh, you know, Boutique has bottled some some Madeira rums. I, I still haven't had that much experience with those rums. You know, I've had some William Hinton stuff, uh, but I know I think, what, you went to five different distilleries in Madeira, is that right? Yes, there are five. There are four traditional ones of that three really do focus on rum uh the fourth is really it's an afterthought they're more about food production um uh you know to supply to the 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 food producers uh you've got william hinton you've got orangio so that's pedro doing his stuff under the uh, basement and doing a live broadcast back to New Zealand Rum Society was so much fun on that one that's oh you did that that's awesome that's cool it was hilarious um (laughs) The other one is Ingenious de Nort, um, which is, yeah, amazing too. I mean, those three, then you've got a newer distiller um, there. He's doing some pretty good stuff, um, but he's, you know, on his journey. Um, and then, as I say, the other one is uh, not there. They produce a lot of sugar honey, you know, sugar syrup, basically, for the Uh food industry. Uh There's another guy, very old guy, who's been making rum, but he keeps the door closed I don't believe you can get in there unless you really, really know someone. And even then, it depends on what sort of mood he's in on the day, apparently. <laughs> Did and you apparently make it in he's there? Got... No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Even me, I didn't get in there. I was going to say, if you can't get in there, that's, yeah, that's pretty tough. Um, but yeah, um, and that's thanks to Peter Holland. That was an example of online mm-hmm. a year earlier, hearing about Madeira and going, I've got to be there. I've got to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what would you say, you know, because it's in that agricole category and you already talked about how, like, I feel like a lot of times we lump Martinique and Guadeloupe Marie Gallant together, even though, as you pointed out, there are some some key differences between their rums. Um, But I think we view Madeira as even further separate, you know, obviously because of the geographical difference. But in your mind, is there any big differentiator between the style of rums you encountered on Madeira versus what you encountered in the Caribbean agricole producers? Yes, there are. I think it depends which way we want to come in on this. If, we talk, if we're talking about from a flavor profile, um, you do get a lot more of that that briny um, saltiness, that that olive sort of green olive notes. Um, That's what I noticed with, not, the, with the William Hinton rums that I've had. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Will. And, and, and you know, it's more pronounced in some expressions than others. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the other part of that, that's that's a lot to do with, um, or, or more noticeable, I should say, and they're unaged. Then when you look at their aging programs, they're all pretty much centered around ex-Madeira casks, you know, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So that's, again, giving you a different flavor profile to, you know, 
eggs, cognacs, that sort of thing. Again, that's not to say that they aren't doing, especially William Hinton, doing a lot of um, laying down lots of different barrels, you know, mm-hmm. You name it, they've got it. Okay. And um, again, you know, in Martinique and Guadeloupe, they're using ex-bourbon as well, things like that. My point, though, is you start picking up as you spend more time uh, trying the different rums, you can pretty much go, yep, that's probably from Madeira compared mm-hmm. to, yep, that's from Guadeloupe, that's from yeah. Martinique. Mm, yeah. um, I feel like I could probably confidently do that at least 75% of the time, possibly higher now. Um, so you, there are differences, yeah. But then if you approach this from more of the uh, production point of view, the economics of Madeira are such that there's a lot of government support. Okay. Um, they set the price to the cane grower. So the that set between the, the rum producers working with the government and the cane producers. Okay. Because those cane producers, they're very, very small parcels, and they keep getting smaller and smaller as each generation, you know, that sort mm. of thing. Okay. Um, and secondly, if it isn't productive or economically worthwhile for that farmer, they'll just switch to banana crop or something else. Ah, uh, okay. So there has to be a level of trying to keep a uh, keep steady the supply. Keep the industry alive, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and IVBARM, which is the government-backed um, agency, the government agency backing this, mm-hmm. they have made the commitment. So the last, they've got to look at this from a sustainable point of view. And, mm-hmm. of course, it all starts with the sugarcane. So that's the first thing. That sugarcane arrives on the most hilarious of methods, but probably the worst is you see – they're, they're mountainous, windy roads. Okay. And you see these trucks arrive, which are just so overloaded, or small, small flatbed vans. So it just really. looks like right. a pile of sugar cane with like a tiny little yeah. set of tires yeah. underneath it. <laughs> exactly. So it's even crazier than when some of the stuff I saw in Guadalupe. And, and then it's just all dumped. So they don't really know, unless they're specifically getting one particular per, uh, supplier, one particular mm. farmer, they have no clue what sort of cane they're getting. It's mixed in from um, a lot of different mm. small parcels, yeah. basically. Exactly. So that affects uh, quality. Uh, by quality, I mean it could screw up their machines because it's, it's all dirty, it's still got lots of leaf on it, all that sort of thing, through to bricks level, uh, let alone mm-hmm. trying to differentiate what which variety. They've got mm-hmm. no, you know, just no chance. Add to that... Uh, if you certainly look at Orangio, but they're not the only ones. When that cane arrives, the uh, the school of thought is always you then crush it as soon as possible because it's starting to deteriorate, it's starting right. to actually ferment itself. And mm-hmm. Well, as far as Peter and others are concerned, it's like, yeah, nah, doesn't oh. matter. So sometimes it sits out in the yard for could be two, three days, could be a week. And that's huh. the cut the, the cut cane stalks, right? Cut cane stalks. Okay, and yeah. generally they are, well, again, this differentiates. Um, generally, though, they're length so you're not getting those smaller cuts because this is most of it have to, has to be hand cut because it's all steep okay right, you can't okay. get machines in there oh. uh, so most of it's hand cut therefore it's full length um, okay. most of the time yeah it's less of an issue compared to if it was small cut stuff yeah so g- going back to the Caribbean side of things I feel like there's only a small slice of those agricole producers that you're really able to conveniently access if you live, I know in the United States, I, I know in Europe, the and obviously in France, that access opens up quite a bit more. Um, I'm assuming it's a similar situation in New Zealand as it is to the United States in terms of available uh, rum agricoles, though I could be wrong. But what were a few of the distilleries you were able to experience there? You know, I, I, you know the, the big three that we can get 
in the United States in most places, I think, or Clement, Rum GM, um, maybe some Nissan. And you, you do see other ones, but I'm talking about like widely available. So were there any that you were able to maybe experience for the first time there or that you hadn't experienced very much that you're just like, wow, this is this is great stuff that needs to be, you know, that deserves more attention from the international community? Great question. Well, firstly, almost all. Yeah. So in New Zealand, <laughs> in New Zealand, you get a smattering of Clement comes through yeah. along along with uh, Trois Rivières, okay. you know. There might mm-hmm. be the odd other bottle comes in occasionally, but that's about it. So my my experiences have been more where I've brought in bottles myself, you know, ordering them whiskey exchange, that sort of thing. But again, it was relatively limited, maybe, I don't know, six, seven bottles. Then I met a Kiwi who's just an incredible guy, Brian. He's uh, He was in the UK. He's one of the old school in terms of the rum community in the uk he was oh, right cool. there beginning beginning of it all happening so he's known by everybody um well loved he turned up my house about a month before i left and said right we're going through some agricole rums now obviously i knew he was coming i thought mm. he was just gonna be a few few bottles he bought <laughs> i don't know maybe 20 30 wow. and la favorite right through to nissan you uh-huh, name it uh-huh. so i then had like this crash course master course with oh. him and and he's amazing he so He's we can blame this all judge. on Brian then, Richard. We yeah. can blame all of this on Brian. <laughs> it blew me away. And again, maybe a slight digression. It took me back to my progression in terms of understanding spirits, which is actually off the back of wine. I mm-hmm. spent a lot of time understanding wine. Uh, um, I'm a second level SOM. So I understood oh, wow. flavor yeah. um, through to, you know, obviously production for wine. And you don't have, you know, there's some things you can take with you in terms of molasses-based rums from those experiences. Mm-hmm. But when you first try agriculture, you go, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Now, and you're picking up the differences between uh, the varietals, you know, mm-hmm. a red cane versus a black cane, all of that it's sort like of stuff. like grapes versus the, grapes, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And then all the nuances, what you feel, you know, the, the floral notes, you don't get really floral notes uh, predominantly mm-hmm. at all in molasses rums. And what I add, I mean, is you're smelling rose petal and then you're going, this is like a, uh, a orchard in springtime. I can smell the buds, the apricot mm-hmm. buds, the peach buds. You know, you don't get that in a molasses rum, really. And so that's why it became important for me to then experience what I did in uh, the French territories. Right. Every distillery I went to, Incredible, just incredible. They all had great expressions. Off the top of my head, I think the ones that people aren't really need to hear more of is Montebello, for mm. sure. They rest their rums a long time. So I know we've, you know, you've talked about this before, um, but I believe flavour does change, be it in the mellowing, be it whatever effect. Don't know, but if those are sitting in those tanks, mm-hmm. I absolutely know from first-hand experience, the difference between it sitting there after four years. Yeah. The same as uh, actually Arangio does the same thing. I try one after sitting six years. Well, they don't just let it sit there for no reason, right? You know, there's, exactly. there's a reason. One would there. imagine. There's yeah. a reason. Yeah, but yeah, John and I have talked about that and whether, you know, like what do you consider aging, for example? And, you know, I've mentioned how to me that's barrel, time in a barrel, right? But you know, time is time. It's it's interesting how we how we think about that. And yeah, there still is kind of a a block in my mind between resting versus aging, even though I know that both things do stuff to the liquid, right? So something happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even if you think about resting and, and, and 
those very old big thousand liter uh, what they call four drawers uh-huh, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. if you think about those those aren't giving anything anymore right 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 i mean and, and they're often sitting resting the, this rum i'm drinking now this this mm-hmm. tomasi um is a good example of that this has been rested for seven years in one of those four drawers mm-hmm. it for me the best in fact i didn't say this one of the uh, producers said it said the if you think about it more in terms of when you make an amazing curry or you know, even a bolognese, what's letting, that like a week later or six yeah, days? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, yes, it might soften, but it just develops so much more flavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that actually happens. Yeah. Um, look, I'm, I'm not a world expert and it's just my experiences, but so digression off Montebello, but Montebello aren't the only ones, but Montebello I'd look out for some of the special releases that uh, Belon do. Mm-hmm. Rambolonia is amazing, incredible stuff, especially their black cane stuff. There's a big move towards all of these um, brute colons, as you know, these 70% plus stuff, mm-hmm. you know, what's coming off the still. Mm-hmm. Once you get used to that, you again get a lot of flavor there, a yeah. lot of flavor. Um, so I would be looking past that. A1710 absolutely should be on people's radar because it is truly um phenomenal what they're doing so they're a non-alcohol non-aoc player have you heard of a looking you probably have i've heard of them but i'm very like i don't know a ton of info about what they're doing i I wasn't aware that it was non you know uh, aoc agricole they do their own thing lovely guys there they are Martinique, um, and yep. they're relatively new. I'm, I'm going to guess to say six years. I could be wrong on that. They have both a still out of uh, cognac, so they've got a pot still, and they've got a, con- a column still. Okay. Um, Maniac one. And they will run them through both. They will do blends. They will do um, single, that sort of stuff. And this is and still a cane juice rum, just not done still the cane to, the, juice. to yeah. the agricole specifications. Um, exactly. That's really exactly. interesting because, you know, in, in just uh, all, all the conversations about GIs, particularly with Barbados and South and, and, and places like that, that's an interesting example of a place in Martinique where, you know, they have the Martinique AOC, but here's someone still making a cane juice rum that is different and interesting in its own way um, and just not going by that name, right? Which is 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 uh, is very cool to see. Yeah, I think it's 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 well worth putting them on your radar. And probably the one making the most noise at the moment because uh, Luca got got onto this one is uh, Papa Royal uh, Roblet. Roy, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, I went and saw them twice, and their well, a lot of their ethos is based on the cane because their families, their forefathers, their grandfathers was all about the cane. Mm. And so they want to honor that with the way they then do their rum. It's a brand new distillery. comes off the back of a brewery. It's in the same site. Oh. Um, and really interesting what they're doing. So they've got different varieties. They're putting stuff down. Their NA stuff is very interesting again. Very interesting. Richard, so put I them think- on your radar. Yeah, those are all fantastic. And I think we've jumped around a lot in talking about a lot of the exciting (laughs) stuff that you did. I wanted to take maybe a quick step back because you mentioned you visited uh, some of these places twice. And before I I, want to ask you about what the thought process and how that came about is, but maybe it's good to put that into the context of the trip as a whole now. So we've talked about you started in kind of the Caribbean, you ended up in the European Union for a while. And then I think my understanding is you went back maybe towards the Caribbean and then came home. But can you give us 
the layout of the trip just for people? And then what was the idea behind going to some of those distilleries more than once? Okay. So uh, we talked earlier about um, I wasn't going to be able to come back into my own country until at least February. I kept extending that. The the, the rum shows were starting. The, the rum trade show season, yes. if you like, in Europe mm-hmm. was starting. Uh, I was in Paris. I was sitting with Dawn Davies, uh, sitting with Mitch. I was sitting with Ian Burrell and a few others at a bar afterwards. And they all looked at me and said, what's your intentions, Richard? And it was like almost like I was marrying someone. Um, and <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. And that's when they basically planned the idea of why not make this a year on the rum road? <laughs> so this was this, this idea was pressure. forced on you is what <laughs> yes. you were saying. You, you got peer, yeah, pressured. Some of the- peer pressured into doing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the top people in rum go, well, you don't argue with them, do you? Um, well, <laughs> so I thought, well, okay, let's just see how that then required a little bit of planning. That was like, okay, where do I need to be at what time? That was, if you like, also an opportunity to then say, well, if I'm doing this for a year and I'm in Europe, it's a hell of a lot easier for me to fly back to Guadeloupe or even Madeira or wherever than it is for me to try and do that for New Zealand. Yeah, because, yeah. Again, I can't emphasize enough. It's it's a hell of a commitment coming from New Zealand to anywhere in yeah, the yeah, Northern Hemisphere, yeah. uh, especially during COVID times. Um, and we probably won't have time in this show, but that itself is a whole story about how you deal with what I had to deal oh, with all the COVID different, times. Yeah, all the different restrictions and things. Uh, yeah. And the different, yeah, man, that was probably a lot. Yeah. All I can say is to everybody out there, if you are traveling, use earheart.com. Okay. That's a good tip. Uh, it gives you up to date within hours information of where you are flying from and where you're flying to, and it gives you what you need to know. So thank God someone finally <laughs> told me about that and made my there life easier. So what what that meant was I extended my stay based in southern France or southwest France. That became my base. Not As a bad said, base. Still, Not a bad yeah, base yeah, to have. Yeah. You could do work. <laughs> Great yeah. base. You know, so in my time off, I did explore wine. <laughs> and then, so I just go, they're only a couple of hours away from uh, Bordeaux, yeah. that sort uh-huh. of thing. Uh-huh. So by the time I'd done a few shows, um, a lot of the producers kind of knew me as well or the representatives, and they were going, right, looking forward to seeing you at the next show, that sort of thing. <laughs> that then turned into me actually jumping behind the stand for them. They go, hey, Richard, I've got to dive off. I've got a class. <laughs> We've got to run. Can you, can you man the booth? That's great. This is great. Yeah. So it sounds it was like, like the best of all possible fever dreams. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was incredible. I mean, a lot of trust there, and obviously, you know, they were fine with it. Um, and Did you I have a going that. rate by the end of the trip? Like, okay, yeah, I'll give you 30 going minutes up the for, entire for one time, bottle, yeah. you Every know. month. <laughs> well, uh, they, they definitely took care of me. I mean, some of those uh, bars in Paris and other in Berlin are very expensive places when you're on a budget. Um, so that's, I guess, having that experience of getting behind a stand at a trade show, you know, or a rum show, yeah. was incredible. I loved that. I loved engaging with the audience. I loved talking to them about my own experiences of the actual stuff I was in front of, uh-huh. uh, telling them what I thought. And I was also able to uh, frame and saying, I don't work for this company, so I'm going to tell you the way <laughs> I see it. Right, yeah. That's um, great. But it was all done with, you know, obviously love, enthusiasm, and passion that I had for rum and, mm. and, if, and the ones in front of me. 
I'll never forget just recently, actually, was I think the London Rum Show or no, uh, we were in Berlin for the bar one and Zan Kong, <laughs> I was behind the Worthy <laughs> Park with oh, the nice, yeah. guys, and he was just laughing at me. Just, <laughs> God, help me. And so he then in London said, hey, I've got to do a masterclass. Can you do the Worthy Park there one? There you go. Yeah. Uh, with, with Serge. Serge was there. Um, okay. Um, and, and we did it. You know, I love that. I yeah. To me, that's the best part is connecting in with other rum drinkers because yeah. I'm mm-hmm. one I am it. That's right, why I right, am. Right, yeah. I, I'm not a producer. I'm not a representative. I'm, I'm literally could sit there, neutral in inverted commas, mm-hmm. just for the because I love rum. There were a couple of places in Europe you visited as well that I wanted to talk about. You mentioned Rummy Club earlier. Uh, you also made it up to Scotland and visited Ninefold. We had Ninefold founder and distiller Kit Carruthers on the Rumcast uh, several months back, but. Those we're seeing more and more of those places pop up in in Europe right now, and it's it's really we're seeing them doing really interesting things. I'm hearing some very impressive stuff about the rum that's coming out of there. But what did you take away from those visits, and how does it leave you feeling about the prospect of you know kind of this new wave of European rum production? Firstly, rum is in good hands. I mean that that's <laughs> that to me, you know, it's an exciting time to be in rum. I like the fact that rum is diverse. It's a very mm. diverse category. We know that. Therefore, it means that for me, if you want to make rum in Czechoslovakia, go for it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's as simple as that. It, it's about if you can get hold of importing your molasses and away you go, you know, by yourself, go for it. Because that was being done before anyway. Yeah. This isn't new. You know, as, as Kit mentioned in his uh, interview scotland was doing it back in the 1700s you yeah. know um, new zealand was doing it in the 1800s oh, um, really? i mean that makes sense yeah. because we you know yeah, australia has its colony. history as well so yeah. yeah yeah so these new players are very common new player you know um i love what they're trying to do they're, mm-hmm. they're obviously doing it because one they're again passionate about um the rum some it depends on what we're talking about here there's maybe two ways of looking at this and again i think i'm recalling a thing you guys said i think maybe talking to maggie campbell and that is you've got those that are dedicated rum producers yep. and then you've got distillers that also happen to make, make rum. a little bit yeah 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 yep. mm-hmm. um, we see that all over the place in the u.s so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so i definitely experienced both of those mm-hmm. so sometimes it was you know they're on their way a bit of more mm-hmm. encouragement and other times it's like yeah they're they're there Yep. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. it's just a matter of time seeing what's going to develop. Because obviously, if they're talking more of their aging program, we're not really seeing, you know, to a great degree what the capability is. We'll yeah. see that more, you know, after a more lengthier time. And that's that's a question of not just time, but also scale. Because these they're starting so small, you can only put so much away, right? Um, it's really yeah. hard for a new you know, a distillery that's younger than five years or something to have like a consistently bottled aged product that isn't kind of like a, you know, more like a single barrel type releases and things like that. So, yeah. Exactly. You know, the, the, it's tough. It is really tough. And you do see it, you know, there, every cent they have, all of their capital is tied up in their equipment Mm -hmm. and and the bottling costs have gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to anybody in the game, you know, this is ours, you know, supply issues, um, supply chain problems 
it's very difficult, but they're all determined. They're all yeah. dedicated to the cause. Um, and that that's, um, we need to support that. So I do what I can at my level. Um, I certainly try and talk about all of these different people and then buy their product as well. In saying that, there's a whole world I've got to explore as well of the more, shall we say, traditional places. I mean, I haven't been to Jamaica, for example. So I've got, mm. that, you know, I'll probably go next month, I think. You know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You've been home for what, a, a month or two now? That's plenty yeah, it's of long enough. Get back out there. Get back out there. What are you doing? <laughs> so I've got a long way to go. Yeah. So I don't want to sound like I'm kind of coming off the back of, yeah, I've explored all that. Now it's all about new stuff. I haven't. I, this is all new to yeah, me. Of course. Of course. Yeah. John and I try to be forthcoming with that as well. And that there's, there's tons of rum that he and I have yet to explore. Um, mm-hmm. Including so many of these, uh, you know, amazing agricoles you're talking about. I, I, I kind of think for me, I might need to make 2023 the year of agricole and just trying to get source as many of these as I can and just dive deeper into the world because I'm still in a place where, you know, a lot of times if I have uh, an agricole that I haven't had before, it's still like, oh my God, there's another side to this that I didn't realize was there, you know? So there's still just so much more to explore. Yeah, there is. There is. Well, it's a uh, it's a fantastic area, and and you just go crazy when you come across one that's just offering so much just on the nose before mm-hmm. you even try it, and you're just going, oh my god, and you just want to just sit on it, you know, just yeah. smelling it for, you know, it just keeps opening up and opening up, and and that's exciting. And I'm not saying I haven't had molasses based rums that do that for me, but times that by ten, times that by a hundred in oh, terms wow. of flavor rums. Oof, oh god, enthusiasm. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Richard, I, I I know this was squarely a rum trip, but I know when you were in Scotland, you did mention uh, that you you saw a few Scotch distilleries. You you visited Lagavulin, Springbank, and some others. But I guess I wanted to ask: in visiting those Scotch distilleries, was there anything notably different or any different perspective on the distillation and the processes that they use there versus the rum distilleries that you visited, or anything you noted in that way? Well, first, yeah, I did. I, I crossed to the dark side for about uh, a month or so there. Um, and the, the Scotch whiskey industry is, well, the, the bits I saw were just so, the, the foundation of it, the, the, where they're at, what they're doing, it's very uh, much how they've always, you know, done it, if very you like. They are doing some levels of innovation, mm-hmm. but it's very slick, maybe the wrong word to use, but very you know, as you'd expect, I guess, by in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. by the book, it's everything's just exactly how it's done and it's very clean. Whereas you go to the islands in the Caribbean islands, you know, it's the same, there's stuff going on all over the show and there's a bit of cane hanging out of the back of someone's computer, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, so that was the first thing I noticed. But the second thing I noticed, and again, this will have, it's a double-edged sword, this one, the level of money you know, you, you go to these distilleries and they've spent millions just on the front door. Yeah. You know, I'm being a bit silly, but you know what I mean. So they visitor centers right through and how tightly things are done as well when you do these tours. What I mean by double-edged sword is there is in some category, some part of rum, um, this push to continue to premiumize. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're seeing that happen in terms of some rum brands now getting recognition like some of the top scotch whiskies if that continues then we will probably see this is just my view um and quite a few people to disagree my view is is that what i saw in scotland we will eventually see in, in some of these um rum producing nations where it's very slick it's 
all about the money. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a big capital um, because they want to show and, and, and keep that positioning of super premium. Um, well, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of those places, I mean, you mentioned Lagavulin, and like they're owned by Diageo, right? So yeah, you mentioned exactly. the level of money and capital that's put into those places. And that's not to say that some rum distilleries aren't owned by some of the big, I mean, Appleton, for example, is owned by yep. Campari. Uh, Mount, Mount Gay, Gay is, is yep. uh, yeah, owned by Remy Cointreau. So th- there's certainly, you know, that presence in, in some distilleries, but less prevalent as it is across the whole scotch category i'm sure yeah yeah i just as it, it's just it, it is certainly a personal um, opinion or, or impression as i said when i walked away i went wow this is just like next level and and again there's another reason for me saying that is because i'd done a lot of the scotch whiskey um a number of them about 25 years ago mm, um okay. so to see that difference so you'd was, seen something before that level of money yeah, came in yeah, yeah. very stark difference uh, as some of the newer ones on Aaron, um, and you're just going, wow, this is just next level, the amount of money that's being spent. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of walked away with that thought, I wonder whether we're going to see that happen in the rum world, and I believe we will in some areas because of that. Mm-hmm. It, again, it depends where we're talking. You're still going to have uh, restrictions and um, you know some things you won't be able to do on an island, but Overall, I think we're going to start seeing flash visitor centers and all that sort of thing mm-hmm. creeping in. That's fine. No, I don't really have a problem with that. But that sort of, you know, the sense of authenticity, you're right there. I feel like authenticity. It, it seems like you're getting it. Yeah. That's um, what I'm getting at. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, money, money coming in can do great things and there are positives mm-hmm. to it, like you said. But but I, I think like you see that in, in anything uh, as ah, something absolutely. becomes more popular and more money comes in. Sometimes you can feel like it loses something. And mm-hmm. that's not just yeah. in spirits. That can be with like a band you like, for example, mm-hmm. something like that. You know, yeah. oh, they've changed, man, that kind of thing. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sold it's, out. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I wanted to get to a few of the other places because there's still we've we've uh, we've talked about a lot of the distilleries. You, you also mentioned I know you were able to get visits in at ENA Shear at Maine Rum Company. We mentioned 1423 as well, which 1423 is an independent bottler. We just talked to them on a previous episode. ENA Shear and Maine Rum are different from that, but they're both like things that exist outside of the distillery model. Um, I'm sure that you came across many incredible sites, incredible casks, some of which maybe they have sworn you to secrecy against revealing. But what were some of the most interesting rums or observations, I'll just say, that you were able to make while while visiting those kinds of places? Yeah, again, it was a real privilege. It was an honor to be there. Uh, very humbling as well. The, the introductions I had from very close friends uh, to make these things happen. If we start with Aishia, um, I met Carson at a masterclass in London. So that I think if you recall, I flew into London on right, that day right. um, and I was sitting there in one of his classes. I happened to be at the front and he kind of picked on me and said, right, you. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what sort of run do you want to make? And he went through the, you know, how he does the, you know, mm-hmm, what sort yep. of style you want and so on, you know, what sort of country, all that sort of thing. Um and I was like, oh, my God. Uh, but anyway, we got through that. We had a chat afterwards, and I said, look, I'm just beginning a bit of a trip. It'll be about three, four months. Love to come see you. He said, absolutely, come and see us. So that's how that kind of happened. When I got there, or, or just previous to go, just prior to going, I had connected with Niels, and there was a project still 
looking at doing it, and that was looking at a blend, um, a navy ah. blend to honour. Well, if you look at the last tot, um, and mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Mitch did a fantastic episode with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, the last Navy, you know, Commonwealth Navy to do that was New Zealand in 1990. So we kept it for another 20 years after oh, um, UK. Yeah. Wow. So I feel we should honour that at one of the anniversary dates. Um, I love Black Tot. I'd, I'd like to support them around that. But I also feel maybe there's an opportunity to do a New Zealand blend around that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And by that, I mean try to keep to the traditions of the Navy as in can't go back to the Navy stores, but the point is, is that find source it from an EH year. So we talked about that. And so when I arrived, we had, he had a lot of samples there. So we started off with that. But what was so amazing is this genuine personal attention that EH year give you from the smallest little guy like me who right through to their their biggest customer. It's the same. You could you, you get that sense. Uh-huh. So the whole team was there. Oh wow. Um, so Richard was there, Marjan was there, uh-huh. uh, Carson was there, and they just spent time with me and they took me around the um, the operation um, and said, yep, you can photograph that, but you can't photograph that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can talk we about this back- on the Romecast, but you can't talk about that on the Romecast. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> uh, and then back up to the, this is their new office. Um, which, yeah, I was going to um, ask if you if you got to see the new office, because I remember, I think maybe in the last year or so, they, they opened up a, yeah. a big, very modern looking uh, a building. Absolutely. They opened that. Actually, it must have been the end of October or early November of 21. Um, And um, it's it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's part mad scientist lab. When you go in, you see all of these samples, bottles Mm -hmm. and all set up. And it's on this big stainless steel bench, if you can imagine, like an island type bench. And then there's all a big wall of brands that they obviously supply to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then there's a seating area. This is the upstairs sort of tasting area, if you like. It's beautifully done. And then as you walk down, there's this touches of their history because, you know, it, it dates. I've forgotten how old. It's about 400-year-old company. Or something. Yeah. yeah Mate, something no, like more that. than that. I think it's 600 years uh, wow. from its original inception. I can't remember. Anyway, that, as I say, still pales to the level of tension you get there. They are just the mm-hmm. kindest people. So I then was able to try a few. Uh, we went into one of their old sampling rooms or file rooms, if you like. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And you're just going, oh, my God. And they're showing me these old files dating back 50, 60, 80, 90 years. You know, wow. you're just going, wow. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you know the story about 1423, how it's got its name. So you mm-hmm. see all of these mm-hmm. numbers, you know, everywhere. So that was like a bit of an eye-opener, I guess, or uh-huh. a lovely thing to see. And then back up there to do some tastings of different stuff they had, which was amazing. So that's yeah, year. Yeah, it's a holy grail. It, yeah. If if you can if you can get a if you can get a visit there, you you should try. Not necessarily easy, but uh, they're, they're all incredibly busy. But they are very open. Don't get me wrong. So you know, what, reach how out that the right visit way. compare versus Main Rum because you know they're okay, they're, yeah. they're basically part of the same company, but I know they're very mm-hmm. different places, yeah. right? Very, very different. So, you know, EA Share or the, the group that owns EA Share mm-hmm. purchased Main Rum later. Yep. Again, lucky to get there. And this will be in Liverpool, whereas he this is Liverpool. in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I specifically went to Liverpool just for that trip, I think. I don't even think it was off the back of anything else. Uh, it was met by Ian. He took me through 
they've got a new site, so they've got a new brand new offices on which they're, they're client building, if you like, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. very similar to what I just described before. Uh, but you go then to the very old T bonded warehouse right. Uh, right on the docks there, and then you go underneath, uh, you know, down to this rickety elevator, uh-huh. and and you just immediately get hit by the most incredible smell. Yeah, know? I'm sure. It's musty, dusty, uh, obviously vapors, <laughs> rummy, everything. And then you're having to very carefully guide yourself around because the floor is just so slippery because it's all this it's, – it's its own microclimate. So yeah. it's just like it's wet, it's uh, slippery in some places. Uh-huh. There's – funguses and all god knows what it'd be like a science experiment in there in terms of what's growing on the walls it's like a rum it's cave it's a cave it's amazing <laughs> it's like yeah it's very difficult to put it on words and then you start walking around and they're all got these codes you know um, letters and numbers um, on the barrels but you know if you've got a little bit of you know, now you kind of start figuring things out. You go, ah, oh, okay. Uh-huh. So that that there is a nineteen-year-old uh, four square over there. That's right, uh, right. you know, and so on. So I started trying to play the spot the barrel sort of game. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. and Ian's laughing at me. I go, is that a? Yeah. Go, Maybe can't tell you that one. Is that a legalia? And go, yeah, we can tell you that. And you know, that sort of thing. So that was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious doing that. So there's. Two main floors, but then there's another floor right at the top, which is where there's some older bottles and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So again, mm-hmm. you, it's a, it's a it's a step into time and history, um, incredible place. But just while I mention that, uh, just as a quick sidebar, Flensburg is another place people should think about going. Flensburg is where Rumsfurstnet. It's a border of Germany and uh, right at the top of Germany, the border there of uh, Denmark uh-huh. used to be actually part okay. of Denmark. That's where all the rum came in from uh, the islands, uh, mainly Jamaica. And then they, the Germans, would then do what they did with it. So we all talk about the high ester. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was basically a concentrated rum that they then watered down, diluted. Yeah, and uh-huh. it's a town. It's a literally a town, not just a shipbuilding, there's a whole lot of other things if you're going back the two, three hundred, four hundred uh-huh. years history or well, right back. The point is is that they had a lot of rum merchants there. It's scaled right back. There's almost nobody there, but they set up a museum. So you walk uh-huh. into a sense of history around what it was like back in the day. What were they doing? How were they doing it? Yeah. From a European scene. So when we talk about uh, main run when we talk about EA Share, it's not just they sure have their place in history, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and their place today, but also Flensburg. I would encourage people to try and get there if they ever get a chance. So, right at the northern end of uh, Germany, there. Yeah, that's great. I haven't heard many people talk about that. So, yeah. Yeah, but maybe that's a good segue into 1423, which is the other one. Um, so, that was on my way to 1423. So, Josh, I'd met. I met him at, well, no, three friends again. I'd reached reached out and, and he said, yeah, sure, come by. And um, why an eye opener? You talked a lot. So we were, you know, I'll, I'll try not to repeat anything you already did just the other week. The, the key thing for me, firstly, he's always got a bit of a glint in his eye and he's just <laughs> such a fun guy. Uh-huh. You know, Josh is just, he's incredibly busy, uh, but he does make time and he loves nothing better than, you know, um, showing people what they've got. And, yeah. You know, so uh, Josh is all about the big rumps. He's uh-huh, like, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, he's the you know, he'll probably tell me off for saying that. So the first thing he does is he hit me with these DOKs, these HLs, WPEs. Then we moved into some other Worthy Park stuff he was doing. But the fascinating thing was more around 
the new wood stuff and yeah, what that's yeah. doing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, he was very excited about that. Yeah, so these Grand Aromes, you know, the, the Legalian mm-hmm. Grand Arome and, 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 you know, the more traditional uh, Jamaican ones and so on. When he's putting them on the Virgin cars, and he hasn't told me this at that point, he's just out getting me to try the stuff and seeing what I think and then asking me to guess, you know. And I swear there were so many that you would think were at least seven to ten years older. <laughs> yeah. At it's, least. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, yeah. yeah, I really is. And I think people, hopefully, he's going to help us or me, uh, adjust our mind around it's got to be long-aged. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm right. hoping we just get to a point where it's like, yeah, nah, might be, can be, but it doesn't have to be Yeah, mm-hmm. um, because of what he's doing. I, in particular, he's not the only one, but certainly it was an acceleration of my learning around maturation, and we got into deep dives around that as well, um, which was fantastic, um, but as I don't want to repeat um, from there. The other Really great thing I had there was um, some of the the Cuban rums he pulled out the the, the ah. Sancti Spiritu stuff mm-hmm. because that's my next step is to revisit the Cuba because I did the whole you know everybody does it the Havana clubs and the, mm-hmm. the normal Cubans um, some of those flavored that sort of thing some not but now I really want to go well what's it really like what are these rums really like yeah um, and go back a step if you like or deeper into there so it was a privilege to be able to do that um, as much as I could at forty twenty three mm-hmm. so new make stuff uh, well not new make of course but you know. Uh, New stuff uh, in the, in barrel, so some of the ten year stuff I was trying, that sort of thing. So that was another highlight, I'd say, of forty three three. Huge warehouse, amazing people. The whole team there is just so lovely. You know, and, and I know this sounds like a broken record, but it really is the people that made the trip. Um, yeah, yeah, it just is. Um, just that's what it, it seems like. The common thread through all the stuff you're saying, all the shows, all the distilleries, all these places like 1423 and EA Shear, it's the people that you're meeting there and talking through all of the rum together. You know, as you're trying some of these, but it's it's sharing in that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, if this podcast was two hours long, I could then just thank everybody um, <laughs> um, on, on here. But um, I owe a lot to a lot of people. Well, I think um, one way you can repay them is by delivering a rapid fire performance for the agents. Ah, so, <laughs> um, Pass. has this... anyone actually turned you down? <laughs> you could be the first. Uh, you could be the first to turn us down. Um, well, no, I, I think this this needs no introduction for you. You're a longtime listener yeah. and supporter of the show, which we should be thanking you for. By the way, um, thank you for coming on the show and sharing this experience. You know, you certainly didn't have to come on and tell everyone about this, but uh, we really appreciate getting to live vicariously through you and yeah. learn about some places that I, you know I think both of us and probably a lot of listeners need to look into more. Um, I know I'm going to make that on uh, part of my agenda for 2023. But with all that said, John, I know you've been hard at work on some rapid fire questions. I think I saw you making some little adjustments and things like that throughout the I interview. Always do. As learned a I little bit more do. about Richard. So. <laughs> Take it away, my friend. What do you have for us? All right. Richard, we'll take it easy on you. We're not going to, you know, put the the brass tacks to you here too much with this rapid fire. Uh, I promise. You know, we'll we'll be nice. Um, But, of course, you know the drill. Short answers only, as best you can manage here. We'll get through as many of these as we can in, quote, unquote, one minute. And we'll (laughs) we'll see how it goes. So, uh, are you ready? Yes. All right. Will? I've got 60 seconds. And go. Okay, neat or on the rocks? Neat. 
Column, pot, or blend? Column. Okay. Ooh. Wow. That's Single a, that's column. A, yeah. Single Ooh, column. okay. okay. I, like I wasn't expecting that. All right. Aged or unaged or rested? <laughs> <laughs> unaged. That'll cover rested as well. Then. Uh, okay. There we go. <laughs> Cane juice or molasses? Cane juice. Yeah, Knew I it. think we, we, we definitely it. had you there. All right. If you could magically have one or two people that could come with you on your next rum trip, who are you taking with you? Uh, Will and John. Oh, yeah. wow. I set Good him up answer. for that, and he knocked it down, Will. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Richard. All right. No, you did not disappoint there. All right. I know Kiwis, you know, New Zealanders are called Kiwis after the Kiwi bird, as you mentioned earlier. I have to know, what do they call a Kiwi fruit in New Zealand? It can't be called a Kiwi also. Believe it or not, we call it kiwi fruit. It used to be called the Chinese gooseberry. Okay. Wow. All right. I so did it did at least that. have a different name. I didn't know that either. All right. Uh, some famous New Zealanders, Flight of the Concords or Taika Waititi? Uh, Richard's like, Flight I don't know either Concords. one of them. The <laughs> <laughs> Australian. Uh, no, they're not. <laughs> okay. Flight uh, of the Concords. Yeah. Okay. Peter Jackson or Flight of the Concords? Peter Jackson. All right. Uh, was your trip inspired secretly by Frodo's journey from Lord of the Rings? Because it certainly sounds a lot like it. <laughs> Who's Frodo? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what that means? I'm going to have to throw out all my other Lord of the Rings content. <laughs> I would. I, if you take Lord of the Rings away from John, he doesn't have much left. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I had a feeling, Richard, uh, that you were messing with me there. Um, all right. I, I am assuming you know a little about Lord of the Rings here, and I'm going to try something with you. If you know, you know, New Zealand on your trip, of course, would be the Shire, right? Because that's where you're starting. So I want to I name some other places from Lord of the Rings and see where do you think these most uh, make sense to go with. So if I were to say Rivendell, home of the elves, fair and stately and regal, where do you think that is? on your trip i've got no idea john you're gonna you know what i i'm not i just lord of rings just like went past my head um flew by me 20 years ago we'll skip past that one how about did you make a point to visit the original zealand while you're in New netherlands when you were there no i didn't <laughs> i'm i'm like i'm like striking out on this one <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally, if money was no object, uh, where would uh, you? You know what? You scooped me with this one too, Richard. I was gonna say, if money was no object, when would your next rum adventure begin, and where would you be headed to first? Next week, Jamaica and Cuba, <laughs> uh, and then just keep going for well, money no object. I'll just keep going for two, three years. There we go. Wow, that's tough. all right. Oh wow, that was. That was terrible. <laughs> you know, John, John I, I may was... overestimate how much the rest of normal people care about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I think that's a with fair you, statement. I think that's a fair statement. Um, I should awesome. have asked a little bit more how much yeah. Lord of the Rings you knew. If I come to New Zealand, it's number one to see all the Lord of the Rings places and number two to see you, Richard. So there you uh, go. Yeah, yeah, come visit me in my RAM collection, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um. <laughs> Will almost spit out his <laughs> I'm going straight for, for the uh, I'm going the straight for the rum collection. I, I'll I'll leave the the Lord of the Rings travels to John. John, you can go do <laughs> those tours. Say. I'll just hang out with Richard. Yeah, uh, you and I'll just hang out. We're just seeing him on his merry way, or what is it? Exactly. Whatever the Shire thing is. I don't know. <laughs> when I was trying to plan for these, I always uh, try to put in a, some some you know rapid fire research, if you will. And my wife was helping me and trying to look up stuff. And she said something that I wasn't aware of, which is that New Zealand has zero snakes. Oh. 
She said there's there no is... snakes in New Zealand. And I was like, Correct. really? Can I heard you the same thing that? about Hawaii. I heard the same thing about Hawaii. Ah, that's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that about Hawaii. C- certainly true in New Zealand. Uh, there's almost nothing to kill you. Almost nothing. Unlike Australia. <laughs> there's there's almost like the opposite Australia. of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't even open your door. In fact, I was, you know, once you, I was going to say, once you open your door in Australia, something's going to kill you. Uh, but it's actually even inside. <laughs> oh, uh, well, that, that, it feels like New Zealand is a much nicer climate to be in, and uh, that's nice. Uh, and nice yeah, zero too. snakes. Zero uh, snakes. Um, yeah, no crocodiles. I mean, I suppose the odd shark will probably, you know, take you down, but you know. <laughs> Take one of the elves down, or what are they in Lord of the Rings? Elves, or yeah, elves. Oh, there we are. Or, or dwarves. dwarves. See, Richard, you knew more than you thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Richard, before before you go, as always, thank you for being here. It was great to have you on. I hope that your trip inspires other epic journeys across the rum world um if, if anyone is planning on tape taking an epic journey across the rum world uh, send us an email and let us know because we'd love to hear about it but any any final thoughts to share before we wrap things up uh i'd i'd like to do a shout out back to you guys i love what you guys are doing it's dedication um you're doing it for the love of it you're not making any money out of it um and we need more of this it's the way the world connects in especially when you're in a remote place like new zealand um it feels uh like we've got a global rum community so i just want to give a shout out to you guys oh well well thank you we, thank we you. definitely appreciate that and um, yeah, I mean, to echo everything you said about how awesome all the people you were, all the people you encountered were, uh, we've seen that many times over since we started doing this. Uh, I mean, just the people we have on the show and, and sometimes getting to cross paths with them in person and everything. And the the rum community is is what makes it all so special. So um, I know anytime I'm able to see visit a distillery or whatever, you walk away and it, I feel like the most memorable thing is always a person or two that you meet along the way, you know? So that's what's great about, about it. And, um, I'm glad that it brought us, uh, it brought you to us so we could do this episode together. It's been a blast hanging out with you. And yeah, if, uh, if, if if we need to have a race now to see either you're going to make it to the U S first, or if we're going to make it to New Zealand first, I don't know which one will happen, (laughs) but I'm confident that one of those will happen eventually. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make both work. I'll do America and then you come down to whichever way. Hawaii. We'll meet in Hawaii. Yeah, we can meet in Hawaii. There we go. We still know that if not, no snakes, at least very few snakes in Hawaii. So, um, Richard Nicholson, thanks for being here. Thank Uh, you. we'll, We'll put some links up for everyone to check out what you're doing with the New Zealand rum society. And yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. Pleasure to have you. I was just going to say very fast. I forgot. Um, people often will go to New Zealand. Uh, go to Richard Nicholson New Zealand on my Instagram. Don't do that. You won't see any rum. Go to the New Zealand <laughs> Rum Society Instagram account. That's where I post. If you're if you're interested, God yes. knows why you would be. But if we you will, are, go there. We will put some links to that in the show notes so you can find Definitely. all the amazing uh, pictures of the incredible, you know, ninety plus rums. Uh, Richard is just <laughs> keeping in tow with him at all times. <laughs> and zero Lord of the Rings content on either of those accounts. <laughs> oh man all right thanks again richard all right thank you all right everyone thanks so much for listening to another episode of the rumcast we hope you enjoyed this great journey through the rum world alongside richard nicholson Hey, if it inspires you to plan your own <laughs> rum trip around the world, hopefully you'll spend a little more time than four days planning it, uh, or not, because that would make for a great story. 
Let us know if you are planning any epic rum journeys. Send us an email, host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. And also we'll put uh, a link up to the New Zealand Rum Society so you can check out and see what Richard is doing there. And yeah, if you if you want to share any stories from your own rum travels, uh, a great other place to do that with us is, is on social media. John, where can they find us there? You can get us at the Rumcast on Instagram or Facebook, uh, Twitter in some cases. And uh, we, we try hard to get back to everybody there. We've had quite a bit of interaction lately uh, and really appreciate hearing from everybody. We get a ton of questions about people that are traveling, they're looking to do things, and we're always happy to help with whatever we can. Of course, we're not the authority, Will. We just we just have fun doing this and try to provide accurate information as best we can or embarrass ourselves trying, which is also a possibility. <laughs> uh, but we're, we're always happy to chat, and uh, so definitely reach out to us there. Uh, we're, we're happy to talk with you there. So, And if you want more Rumcast, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Rumcast, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the Rumcast. We're doing bonus episodes. We're doing happy hours all kinds of fun stuff there so check us out there support the show if you would like to and john i guess that's it for this week we've we've uh we've been uh fast and furious and lining up 2023 interviews all this week so we've got some really good ones coming down the 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 pike uh a few people we've been wanting to talk to for a long time mm-hmm. that are going to be on the show for the first time here in the next uh coming few weeks and months yeah. so drop that teaser. for those but uh yeah until then i'll talk to you See you next time.